You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. Do my prejudices influence communication of the gospel? What is my position as a Christian on mission? Is Christianity compatible with other religious expression? Is evangelism simply white colonization? Do all expressions of faith lead to the same ultimate outcome? We can boldly face the relativism that is influencing missions and overtaking the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us as we discuss complex issues facing the local church as it serves Christ in obedience to the Great Commission. This is Mission of the Nations with host Grant Fawcett. Hello everyone. Welcome to Mission of the Nations. It is bright and sunny here at Arrowhead and snowy and cold and wonderful and it feels like a good old-fashioned winter's day. And uh, we're going to think back to a warmer time a little bit. Uh, We held our Circle Summit conference last fall here at Arrowhead and as a part of that conference we had a panel discussion Uh, In years past, when we've had our panel discussions, I have very carefully articulated the framework and put a fence around that discussion for the sake of the uh, live audience that is there at the time. Uh, This year, I didn't do that to quite the same degree as I had in the past, and it led to a little bit of confusion for folks. Uh, We did video record all the sessions from the Circle Summit. Uh, However, the panel discussion video isn't uh, something that we're going to be able to edit adequately to use online. Uh, We also have the audio from it, though. Um, And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you some portions from that discussion uh, so that you can hear some of the things that the speakers had to say. The way that the panel discussion was meant to run was that we had some pre-planned questions that were canned, that were uh, given to the speakers a bit ahead of time so they could think about uh, what they might say. Uh, It was an opportunity for them to speak into some specific issues. Uh, And then partway through the discussion, we had some audience uh, participation that we weren't expecting and uh, sort of derailed the conversation a little bit. Um, But what I want to do is grab out some pieces of that and share them with you uh, today. The the conference was about syncretism, uh, dealing with... Uh, the concepts and the theological and practical implications of syncretism. Uh, So that was sort of the the thrust behind the panel discussion was some of the application. Uh, What does syncretism lead to? How is it avoided? Those kinds of things. Uh, So hopefully you'll enjoy uh, some of this audio. Uh, It was recorded in our chapel here at the center, so the, uh, the quality may not be quite as uh, as great as it could be, but uh, but you should be able to hear it, and hopefully it'll be a blessing to you. At our panel discussion for part of the day, uh, this has often been a favorite part for people, as we get to hear from the speakers in a, in a candid way. Not that I gave them enough information to prepare anyway, but... Um, we I, I asked for them to provide some questions for us so that we could talk about them together as a group and so we're going to go through those I've kind of mixed them up a little bit so if it feels like we're jumping around it's because we are um, and that's okay um, but I think if, if, if we come to a question that you guys feel like we've already answered that or we don't need to go over that we can just 
tell me, we'll move on. We'll do a different, uh, a different question, but. Um, what happens if we need a lifeline? Um, <laughs> you can ask the audience. <laughs> ask the audience. Venus is here. Stumped she can be our lifeline. <laughs> Phone a friend. Did Jane say or me? I did, but I'm going to be quiet. Okay, that's a lie. <laughs> All right. Okay, say cheese. <laughs> cheese. Before before we devolve into uh, celebrity status for Venus, let's uh, let's start out. But before we begin our discussion, why don't we uh, open in a word of prayer? Mark, would you do that? Our Father, we just thank you that we have our identity in you. We thank you that you've made us and put us in a context of our families, of our our neighborhood, of our country, Lord. You know all of the things about us, Lord. We pray that you would just bring out aspects of your word as we try to um, respond to these questions, Lord. Questions that sometimes are even beyond us. So we just uh, look to you and ask you to bless this time together and that you would be the one who got all the, uh, the honor and glory at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, the first question that we have, I think that we've addressed through narrative and through illustration and through definition, but is there anything that any of you would like to add to or elaborate on as far as the definition of syncretism? Syncretism is, since I just got off talking, it's probably (laughs) fresher in my mind. Syncretism is your original man-made culture, beliefs, practices. The missionary comes in with the word of God, the uh, truth, and communicates to you the message. He doesn't communicate as well as he should have. He thinks you understand. You think you understand. You take some of that belief, you take some of your beliefs, and invariably you end up mixing them together, and you end up with basically a third belief system. You don't know that, he doesn't know that. And that's syncretism. Is that limited to missions? Does that happen in churches? Context? Well, I'm thinking of it from a social point of view where we're really called to be one body and that there's not supposed to be any male or female, there's not supposed to be any slave, uh, master. It's supposed to be like the Greeks and the barbarians. These were all opposites, so they, they, the Greeks looked down on the barbarians and the masters ruled over the slaves. Well, those kind of things, even though we say, oh, well, that really doesn't, isn't a part of my life, I think, I think that's where syncretism is because we have a tendency of putting the people that are the most pleasing to us as a culture up front in a, in a higher position and those that are less uh, attractive or whatever, less, to, less, I don't know, appropriate for the culture. We put them, we don't want them to be seen. We want them to be in the back seat, or we would tell somebody, okay, well, now you're a Christian, you really should consider cutting your hair. That's what, that's what someone told me. And I took it a little too far. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's the syncretism that arrived from that, that conversion. 
So, yeah. Um, we want to make people receive, uh, come to a standard before we can embrace them. Instead of embracing them and having our standards being, we're all part of the body of Christ. And I know it sounds kind of idealistic because we know the reality, but, but that's what it says in the scripture. So. So how are you relating, maybe I'm not hearing, how are you relating that to syncretism? Well, the coming through ethnocentricity, our culture is taking precedent over the Word of God. Mm. We're saying, what I expect of you is more important than what God expects of us. Okay. I think that's really helpful. Andy, do you have anything you want to add? Like, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. <laughs> so it's going to lead us into another question and I think that all three of you touched on this over the course of your uh, talks can culture be redeemed I th it's a broad question mm. and cultures are very broad and even this whole like discussion of like syncretism for me raises a lot of questions that they're like there's so many contexts and like so many cultures, um, and so what are we talking about? Is like kind of the question. Like, well, can cannibalism be redeemed? Like, are cannibalistic culture people? No, we have to stop eating people. Like, that's pretty clear <laughs> in the Bible, right? So, so no in that aspect. But is there? At the same time, we can't say when we reach people with the gospel, we have to get rid of their culture either. Like that's also going way too far too. Mm -hmm. I think we take the gospel to the culture and the gospel finds a home there. Um, and it will look differently for those cultures, but some of it. I, I think like it's helpful to think of it in categories where like there are things in culture um, we can receive that we can just take in. Like this is uh, the common grace of God. This is good. Um, there's no need for change here. And as it may be commendable, um, then there's also things we just have to reject. Like this is clearly wrong in scripture. Uh, the culture has to change here. But then there's also stuff that can be redeemed um, that maybe doesn't have to change, but just look a little different. And there's a lot of nuance in that. Yeah. What are you guys art? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> what was the question? Can, can, can culture, yeah. can no, culture be redeemed? Yeah. Uh, my perspective on that would be I, I think I was harping on that uh, throughout my talk, in that we have to take the time to ensure that we understand the mm. target group, we understand their language, we understand their culture as best we can. And then we're prepared to deliver the message to them. And then from my perspective, I don't know the nuances of their culture, but they do. Mm -hmm. They're the experts in the culture. Once, once they become into brothers and sisters in the family of God, once they're saved, once Jesus Christ is their Savior, and mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit starts to work on them, they will understand and decide what to drop and what not to drop. I don't think it's our place necessarily to say that's of the devil, you don't do that anymore. Let that be, you know, vertical instead of horizontal. 
What are your thoughts? Right. Well, it's kind of a tricky like play on words. Can culture be redeemed? Because it's as if culture is a thing or a person. It seems like it's a little bit, you know, not straight across. Um, values that people have, like sharing, for instance, uh, how can you say, well, don't, you got to stop sharing now because you're a Christian. You wouldn't say that. Um, in some cultures, sharing is huge, right? And I think that God can take that and use it. So it's, I don't know if it's redeeming it, it's the person's redeemed, the, the, the body of Christ, like people are serving Christ, so they use what they have. And I think we all have something to offer. We have gifts, we have backgrounds that have shown us things of suffering and all kinds of uh, realities in our lives that we can bring to the body of Christ. Does that mean that God redeems them or he just puts it into perspective? And I believe that really the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are over our culture. So if the culture says, if the, the Word of God says, share, be a wonderful sharer of the grace of God, do it. Mm-hmm. You know? But if it's something that, there's some things that take our, our uh, focus off of the grace of God and put it on the culture. And I think that's what a lot of what we're facing now because there's been a lot of injustice and it's absolutely verifiable, real suffering. And it has, there's reality in that. And that being said, I've had people who were non-Christians, who were native, and uh, when I was in need, they knew what it meant to help because they had experienced similar suffering. So uh, that, that being said, uh, there are some things that can take our, our focus off of God on the culture. So we're not, now we're discussing issues. Mm-hmm. And we're not talking, and uh, well, the, the Anglican Church, they spent years debating over the homosexual situation uh, in their church, but then they ended up going one way or the other. They were not evangelizing. They were just talking about this issue over and over again. I'm just saying this myself, but they're looking at the issue and they're not looking at the big picture of, you know, okay, yeah, that's an issue, but there's other issues of the grace of God that we should be actively involved in Mm -hmm. and not just the issue part. And uh, also there is that part of the relationship. If something that I am doing is an offense to you or it's something that you have for Christian liberty and I don't have, then that could be a problem and people become confused. Like, well, I can do this, but you can't. Because I'm native, I can do this, you can't do that, you're white. Or you could, we can all do it. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a human relationship aspect. And keeping the gospel as center, we can come to a decision. Okay, well, I'll lay aside my freedom. You lay aside a bit of your freedom. But this is what we're going to emphasize here is, is we're going to emphasize 
the gospel. And we're going to have an understanding between us. Like, okay, you know, you can do that. I can do this. We understand each other, but don't go beyond that. If you go beyond that, then we, our understanding is kind of done. You've gone over the line of what we have come to an agreement for. So I think it's important to have those mm-hmm. as a church to say, okay, this is where we stand and, yeah. and uh, this is how we live together. <clears throat> Yesterday, our, when we were we did a podcast, so we're going to rewind a little bit and just to sort of talk about the culture of Scripture, of Christendom, in relationship to the culture of every human being. What, what, can you talk into that a little bit about what that discussion was like and, and the reality that exists there? We talked about a lot of things yesterday. Yes, we did. <laughs> uh, I guess what I would equate that to is uh, what I would term freedom in Christ. And I guess the Catholics would look at that as license to sin um, because when Jesus Christ died on the cross he a whole lot of his death was because of me our wanage and when he died God accepted that as payment for me for all of my sins and that's the part people don't understand is the all part. People tend to forget that they're saved. So if I, if I steal that whatever thing is there, that's, that's a sin. If I were to kill somebody, that's a sin too. And people would more excuse me of that than of this. And that's in, like I said, we have a tendency to humanize God. We, we, we bring God down to our level. And so we're always grading sin. And, but, but a sin is a sin. And, and Jesus Christ died for that. But he also died for this. And so how I live my life is... Remember uh, Acts chapter 2, the, the day of Pentecost? Those little tongues of yeah, fire, fire yeah. came over everybody. And they yeah. settled in. This now became the temple of God. This became the temple of God. And the no-hair guy, temple of God. (laughs) You know? So when it became the temple of God, that's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that this Holy Spirit is God's down payment until, until He gets all of me. And so as I walk through this life, the Holy Spirit is God's down payment making sure I'm getting to heaven. If, if I had to make sure I was going to get to heaven, where am I going? <clears throat> I'm not going to make it. That's not my job. The New Deal, the New Testament, the new contract. You know, the Jewish people were the only people on earth to make a contract with their God. They actually had a contract. So if you want to know if, God, if there's a God, he made a contract. He's there. And they had to do everything. Everything was physical. And they failed, they failed, they failed, they failed. That was the whole thing with the, the doll and the Ten Commandments. You know you're going to fail, you can't make it, that's us. And so, when we got the New Deal, because we're hard-headed, we don't understand, but it took a long time, we understand that we can't get there by ourselves. Romans says we all come short. 
All of us do. I'm short of the glory of God. And so, Jesus Christ came, paid for our sins, and so, now there's nothing we can do. The Old Testament was you had to do everything. Realize we're not going to make it. The New Deal is you can't do anything. God and Jesus did it all. And how much did they do? All of it. What part is ours? None of it. Our job is to believe, to accept that free gift. Once we believe, once we accept that free gift, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me, this is the temple of God now, it's up to Him to get me to heaven, not up to me. And so that gives me the freedom, transcultural, everybody, doesn't matter where, it gives me the freedom to do whatever I want to do, because no matter what I do, if I sin, if I stole that, who paid for the sin? If I killed somebody, who paid for the sin? Jesus. All the big ones, all the little ones, it paid for it all. People don't define all all the time the same. And they say, it can't be that simple. If you kill somebody, he's not going to heaven. Hitler's not going to heaven. It's just a sin. It doesn't matter. Man from, from Adam to the last man that lives is going to commit this much sin. That's it. No more. How much grace does God have? Way more. And so, that's, that's how I term that freedom in Christ, is, is I get to live however I want. I can be horrible, because I still have the ability to sin. I just have the choice now. And God is my Father, and, and I'm a child of God, and so I have an acronym I try to live by, and it's called DIG. Everybody goes, what would, you, what would Jesus do, is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, mine is DIG. Does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? If it doesn't glorify God, why would you do that? And so that's the response to the Catholics. You have the license to sin. Yes, I do. But why would I? Because it probably doesn't glorify God. So I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, I, th- I think it's part of the discussion for sure uh, with respect to, you know, as a person from Atlantic Canada who became a Christian, I had to deal with aspects of my culture and become part of the church, Christian culture. And that's kind of what I was leading into. Um, Andy, do you, or Mark, do you have anything you want to contribute to that? Well, one thing that I think is really uh, the, the culture like today is we think as individuals, like we say, I, I was taught this, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's true. Absolutely true. But we also are one temple of God collectively. And I think that's missing out of North American culture, European culture. That sense that if he steals that, which I think the man with the hair might possibly do, but. You know. <laughs> but my culture <laughs> it's going to impact it's going to impact somebody so we we think in terms of well i think i will do this and this is where god's leading me but how does it affect other people like in the body of christ like just to be able to think that way because that's the way the new testament was basically written it was written that a group of people so these questions we have we can we can actually answer as a group because the group will, led by God's leaders, like pastors, can come to real biblical solutions. They might, they might not be perfect, 
but they're definitely biblical solutions that we can come to. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to say the exact same thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like cause you were speaking along like your Atlantic Canadian culture, and I, I was going back to what Mark said earlier in my mind. Like we are so individualistic. Right. So the gospel takes my eyes off my cultural self and onto others, mm. and that might just come more naturally for another culture. Right. Yeah. Very good. So that's going to lead us out of this conversation and into another one. Is that okay? <coughs> sure. All right. Um, so this question is, again, born out of our conversation yesterday, ours, um, with the podcast. <laughs> but we talked a little bit about parachurches, and we talked about seminaries, and we talked about training up young men from within our churches. So what is the relationship between that conversation between training up young men in church and seminaries and syncretism, bringing in people, say, from another, from outside to be a part of our congregation and as a leader. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, we did talk about that. Uh, why don't we hear from somebody else first? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, I mean, to be fair, I did send you these last night at yes. midnight. Yeah. So you've had lots of time to yeah, <laughs> consider your answers here. I'm not being unfair. <laughs> sure. I, I think the question is meant for you. So I'm, I'm curious. As, <laughs> I think you already know the answer. <laughs> what we were talking about yeah. yesterday, it, it's slightly different how that question was phrased. Uh, but a lot of why the churches are the way they are, the mainline churches. You know, 50 years ago, there were very, very, very strong denominational barriers, denominational boundaries between churches. And you could tell the differences. Now, now, like I said a few minutes ago, when you go down the street, especially in Toronto, you'll see, you know, the strip malls with the donut shops, the restaurants, the pubs, the gyms, the churches, the dollar store. It's all mixed in, it's all blended in, you can't tell the difference. And a lot of that has been deteriorating over the decades from when, when the church used to teach up your young men. You used to train up your young men. They used to become the elders, the pastors, the deacons going on up. And then they would go off and start another church. And so that new church plant would look exactly the same as this one. But then we got into this issue with governments and monies and seminaries. And now you have to all send your people somewhere. As I said yesterday, if Jesus Christ were here today, he would not be allowed to be in the pulpit because he doesn't have the right card. And so, so when we sent our people off to seminaries, we ended up getting people with other baggage. And so once we got people with other baggage, it all started to blend. All these, if you will, will this, between these denominational barriers got syncretized within each other. To come up with a whole new religion now, and, uh, and the majority of people have left the church uh, over what it was before, and, and now we have a, a whole church that doesn't look any different than the other ones. The message that used to take the time to develop, to build, to create people who would go out and disciple just naturally doesn't happen anymore because it's all been watered down. Uh, so. I was talking about the need for our local churches to go back to, to the need to train up our young men again, to spend the time. 
And, uh, and like, like we said, maybe the native people of North America are the people we should look to. And if we can get the message to them, there's no reason why. Because somebody said something about this was the land of somebody previous. Was that you, Mark? Maliseet. Maliseet, yeah. There isn't a function you can do in Canada that does not start with, we are on the traditional lands, blah, 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 blah. And everybody's looking to native people. It's hard to say no to a native person. And so if we can get the message into us, native people, and let us go out there, we have a chance of bringing North America back. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Can I say something? You, well, yeah. Absolutely. That's, yeah. uh, I went to seminary, and one thing that just I noticed a lot, there wasn't a lot of uh, cross-cultural perspective in seminary. It was very straightforward um, training from the point of view of the North American and European point of view, which is fine, which is wonderful. But then I, at the same time, having lived with Native people, I was reading them, looking at things in the Old Testament, and I was seeing things that existed in Native mindset that were in the Old Testament, like with the Jews and, and the cultural, there was, there was similarities in, in between the two. Not, not to say they were Jews or anything, but because it was Eastern. And, uh, and one of the very important aspects of the Old Testament was kinship groups, even in the Jews. If you belonged to a kinship group, the kinship group had your back. They took care of you. They were loyal to you because you were part of that group. But if you stepped out of the bounds of that, they wouldn't be so loyal. They would possibly send you completely out. Well, then Jesus came to the Jews, and he, he came to us, and he said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to leave father, mother, cousin, uncle, and well, just to see it from that point of view, your kinship group was your whole support. Like that was part of life, right? Your tribe, your, your family, it was very, very important and there would be someone there who was the, the head of it. Well now, God has to be the head of it and you have to choose like Abraham did to turn your back as your primary source of support your, of your kinship group, and you have to follow Christ. And I think that's also a part of syncretism, is when we hold on and we say, well, you know, I have really good support from my family, and therefore I can, I can go there when I need help. And it's not that that's wrong, but Primarily, I think we're the, we're the church of God, we're, we're the family of God, and I don't think we've taken that so seriously. Mm. I think that if we ask a Muslim to give up their family support and to risk death, I think they should be coming to something that is robust in, as far as fellowship, that meets their needs as much as or even above what they left behind. I don't think it'd be fair to ask them to follow Christ and then join a, you know, so-so group of people and say, oh yeah, we're behind you. Like, mm -hmm. I think we should be really committed to each other. And that takes work and it's not, it's not easy. And, uh, but I think we, we should, we should do that. Yeah.
I appreciate good theological education, um, and I'm thankful for mine. And I think there needs to be training in these areas, in the seminaries, that's done so in a good way, and, and often teaching principles. Um, you know, because we can't teach, well, this is what you do in every specific situation, because there's so many cultures out there now, and they're in our face all the time. I think for good reasons, even like immigration cultures, so many cultures are coming to us. And we need to think through that. Um, and culture changes. So what might be taught one year might look totally different the next year. But we can have principles. You know, this is what contextualization looks like. This is what it might be to speak into an honor-shame culture mm. versus guilt-righteousness or another. Um, so those, those principles are very helpful. Um, and also just encouraging our pastors and missionaries not to steamroll in. It really matters that we don't just dictate, mm -hmm. but we learn and listen as guided by the scriptures. What's also really important, I think, with our seminaries, usually in our Western cultures, as we see the seminaries go, so we see the churches go. Mm -hmm. um, because we're sending the next generation of leaders there, um, and if they're getting some sort of model that like embraces syncretism, as is taught in some denominations and some seminaries for those denominations, mm -hmm. um, multiple pathways to God, just bring these things in, you'll reach more people, eventually you'll have a generation of pastors teaching that, and then you'll have another generation of churches believing this, because um, the scriptures have been abandoned. So we have to really um, go after our seminaries um, to be orthodox mm -hmm. and helpful. I think if I've heard a theme from, from you guys over the course of the last couple of days, it's that's syncretism. The risk of syncretism, the danger of syncretism, isn't the core issue. The core issue is obedience. And there is no reason why every Christian sitting in a church can't be a theologian. We err when we look only to the leaders as the theologians. We are responsible to have scriptural biblical answers and I think we can look at, at this situation from from above or from afar and, and see where we are corrupting the message. We're talking about at this conference syncretism. There's so many facets of of this conversation, honor shame versus guilt righteousness. Andrew um, you know alluded to that. Honor-shame cultures interact differently. Um, Fear-power cultures interact differently. Guilt-righteousness cultures interact differently. I think I'm, I'm reading a book with our two interns called Ministering in Honor-Shame Cultures by Jason George and Mark Baker. Excellent book. We're a chapter in and my mind is already blown. He, he was talking about genealogies and how in an honor-shame culture, knowing that the kids were required to memorize nine generations of their family tree so that they would know what shame and what honor applied to them. And so this guy, when he became a Christian, memorized the genealogy of Jesus. So that, because that's what that, the honor of Jesus' genealogy meant something. And we need to recognize, I think, as Christians, that there's some realities and some depth to God's word that we don't fully grasp and we can take the time to learn and understand that will enable us and equip us to, to reach people really well. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming, everyone, today. Um, it's been nice to have everyone here, and I uh, hope that you've uh, been blessed by these guys. Uh, they've come a long way to uh, 
to be here. Um, I'm sure they'll be around for a few minutes now if you'd like to ask some questions, but we're going to uh, conclude at this point and uh, drink a little more coffee. Thank you for joining us for Mission of the Nations uh, for this episode. I hope that you've uh, been challenged and uh, enjoyed some of the interaction that the uh, speakers had uh, with respect to this topic. Um, We look forward to our Circle Summit uh, again this coming October. Um, We haven't landed uh, exactly on what the theme is going to be for this coming fall, but uh, you can be certain that it will have uh, some great impact on uh, cross-cultural ministry here in Atlantic Canada uh, among First Nations people, and uh, we will be addressing things that that are common questions um, that the church asks or that individuals ask with respect to mission. So we hope for that conference to be edifying, and if you are uh, geographically close enough to join us, we encourage you to consider doing that. You can find the information when it's available on our website at arrowheadnbc.com. And we hope you have a great week. This has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. Visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.